This is Kate Stanton, host of The Pulse Podcast. In this episode, I sat down with Colin Quinn, president of Included Health Communities and co-founder of Included Health. Colin started Included Health in 2019 to improve care equity for underserved populations, starting with LGBTQ plus individuals. In May, 2021, the recently merged Grand Rounds, a care navigation company, and Doctor On Demand, a virtual care company, acquired Included Health. In October, 2021, the new entity rebranded as Included Health. Today, the company provides integrated navigation and virtual care across everyday and urgent care, primary care, behavioral health, and specialty care. As president of Included Health Communities, Colin leads the organization's work on health equity and raising the standard of care for underserved populations. Colin and I discuss how his prior experiences at a Fortune 500 company and a startup prepared him to start his own healthcare company, why partnering with Grand Round and Doctor On Demand was the right choice for his company, and what it will take to rebuild trust in healthcare amongst populations for which that trust has been broken. Colin, it's great to have you on The Pulse. Thank you so much for joining me. Absolutely. Thank you for the invitation. Really excited to uh, be part of this and have a great conversation today. Awesome. Me too. So let's dive right in um, and do what we do at the beginning of uh, all of our episodes, which is starting with an icebreaker. So when you were a kid, what did you want to be when you grew up? This is a good question and a a tough one. I guess it depends depends uh, what age bracket we are defining kid. Um, I think it's, as I was reflecting on this and thinking about like when I was young, young, like (laughs) playing in backyards, building forts, playing sports, growing up and things like that. um, It was probably wanted to be a baseball player or some sort of like in the sports arena because grew up playing sports in the summertime out in the uh, field next to our house, things like that. That's like what life was to me uh, back then. But even, I guess, maybe the, the more uh, professional answer, which of course, that's a professional answer. Um, <laughs> but thinking about even into high school, um, that quickly turned away from that because I knew I was not going to be a professional athlete uh, at that time. I was really focused on med school and, and mm-hmm. thinking I was going to become a doctor. Uh, at that point, even up to freshman year of college, um, but then decided to uh, to make a change, uh, not do pre-med and uh, go the more business route. Awesome. I figure many people listening identify with that professional athlete aspirations, and then they eventually realize that like the 0.0001% makes it to that. Exactly. But the, I also imagine the med school to more business of healthcare transition is also a common career path and one that resonates with me as well. So I'm curious, I know you started your career at Eli Lilly out of undergrad. So um, you, you explained a bit about what drew you to healthcare and medicine, but what, how did you sort of make that clinical to business pivot? Yeah. So I'd say it's a couple things. Uh, One, uh, a large majority of my family is either in healthcare or in education. So I've always been around that. I went to undergrad in Indianapolis at Butler University. Uh, So Eli Lilly happens to be headquartered Mm -hmm. in Indianapolis. So that was the big corporate name. um, And you saw it everywhere uh, within the city. And then, of course, on-campus recruiting they were doing. 
But also rewinding the clock, I graduated during the financial crisis. Um, so coming into the professional world then, of course, many of us were concerned, are we going to have a job? Are we going to find a job? Uh, so many of us, it shifted our thinking to, all right, I need to find a stable industry, a stable career, and something that is going to be there indefinitely or, or in in a stable environment where it's not going to kind of fizzle out over the next year or two years because, of course, it was very uncertain times. Uh, so I thought, gosh, well, healthcare is not going anywhere. We all need it. Um, and especially looking at generational uh, trends, especially with the baby boomers aging, thinking, all right, this is a great place to uh, be able to start my career. I was less aspirational at the time of thinking, oh gosh, there are many ways that we could reimagine the way healthcare is delivered in this country because of course I was new uh, and still uh, pretty much early career professional at that point and uncertain what how healthcare really functioned in our country because I wasn't too much of a consumer of it myself at that point. But I would say those were a couple of the factors in addition to just knowing Eli Lilly was really a household and family name within Indianapolis. And if you could get a job at Eli Lilly, uh, then that really meant something. So I was actually really proud and honored to be able to make it through the recruiting process and have an opportunity to get a job offer and was just a, a phenomenal place to start my career. Yeah, really interesting. Your, your point about household name, it sort of reminds me of what I expect United Healthcare might be like in, in Minnesota or something like that. These so really interesting to, to hear about how you got your start in healthcare. And then I know you went to Home Team, which became Vesta. And obviously, then you founded Included Health. So how did your experiences pre-being a CEO, how do you feel that they prepared you to get really uh, deeply into entrepreneurship and eventually start your own company? I think each of the experiences lended something different to my overall um, preparedness to become a founder and CEO, I, I gained something different from each of those experiences. And of course, as I progressed throughout my career and leadership roles and opportunities, um, that afforded me different experiences as well. But if I were to bucket them and do a couple themes, I would say my time at Eli Lilly, so I spent about 10 years at Lilly, really built a foundation for me, I would say, learning just how to be a good professional, I would say. Eli Lilly had been around or has been around for over 150 years. Um, so, and a large Fortune 500 organization. It's a really great way to learn how to run a business. Of course, that would be a, a large business at, at Lilly's scale, but how to be a good professional, how to think critically about business problems, how to run business cases, learn process, procedure, all of the infrastructure that needs to be there for a thriving organization. So I'd say that was the, the main aspects that I learned just from overall capabilities and skill set. And then I had the opportunity to get sponsored to get my MBA at Stanford. Uh, so being able to take two years off uh, to go dedicate myself uh, to that uh, education and training as well, which was just a phenomenal experience for me. Um, but it was really at that time that I had a chance to look at my career and say, hey, what do I want to be when I grow up? Uh, what function and role really do I want to invest the rest of my career in? And I found myself saying, hey, I, I've really enjoyed finance, but I don't think that's the career path and track for me. I really want to be closer to members, closer to patients on the front lines of the business. Uh, I want to have the opportunity to lead large organizations, 
And, and there's a lot of these aspects of entrepreneurship that are coming up. Entrepreneurship at the time wasn't as sexy, as largely talked about as really what it is today. So I wasn't as experienced in that and really understanding really what all of that meant and the opportunities that might lie there. So of course, at my time in Silicon Valley at GSB really opened my eyes to that. And of course, being in Silicon Valley, I say that's where I got bit by the entrepreneurial bug. Um, so then, of course, after graduating GSB, I had the opportunity to then transition my career into more of a sales and marketing and general management career track. So then back at Lilly, I was able to carry the bag as a sales rep to really get that firsthand experience, engage quite a bit with providers and offices uh, to understand how their business work, how they're working and treating it and supporting their member populations and patient populations. And then lastly, had the opportunity to lead a large sales organization out here in the Northeast. A lot of different roles and experiences really helped to build my overall experience and knowledge of how the U.S. healthcare system worked. But then, of course, rising throughout uh, from roles and responsibilities uh, to be able to lead larger and larger teams throughout that. So I'd say that's, that's the Lilly experience. Uh, home team, I really shifted the pendulum and went from <laughs> large Fortune 500 company to early stage startup. So 40,000 global employees. So I think when I started at home team, we maybe had 65 or 70 employees. So completely different experience, but that's what I wanted. I was really intentional about saying, hey, I want a different slice and flavor of healthcare. I want an early stage company because I had intentions and ideas to be able to start my own company in the future. So I didn't want to just start one right after working for a large global company. I wanted to go get a startup experience first. Um, so I found that in Home Team, something, an organization that was mission-driven, that was really looking to innovate within healthcare and reimagine the way healthcare is delivered and functions for our older adult population within the US. Uh, so I, once again, found that with Home Team. I had an opportunity to lead different parts and functions within home team as we pivoted the business model a couple of times while I was there. So uh, it was exciting and a, a really a, a head dunk in business case MBA uh, <laughs> kind of training uh, 2.0 or, or another version there, but in a, a real life environment instead of in kind of a hypothetical classroom environment. Um, so I would say that was a really good training experience for me as well. And I would say all of that stuff really lended to, to setting me up for success to then become a founder and CEO of Included Health in 2019. Thank you so much for walking through that as someone who's in the midst of an MBA and doing a lot of reflecting on where I've been and where I want to go. It's, it's great to hear your perspective of growing into a professional, reflecting on that experience, and then going off and continuing to do really interesting things in healthcare. So let's now get to Included Health. And obviously, quite a bit has changed since you founded it in 2019. I'm sure both in terms of the, the ways you support and provide services to the LGBTQ plus population, but also the business's ownership structure and things related to that. So before we get to what Included Health looks like today, could you provide an overview of the Included Health you founded in 2019, what services did you provide? Who did you sell to? Sort of your, your elevator pitch, early elevator pitch. Yeah, absolutely. So as you mentioned, uh, I founded Included Health in 2019, really with the focus to create better healthcare experiences for underserved member populations. 
And my really focus and passion for starting this company was rooted in my own personal lived experience and challenges I have had navigating the healthcare system as a gay man. And obviously having a chance to talk to other friends, other colleagues, and individuals within the LGBTQ plus community that have had similar experiences and sometimes worse healthcare experiences. Also at that time, just from a, a social perspective or a really political social agenda, there are a lot of threats being placed against the LGBTQ plus community, uh, aspects of the Affordable Care Act getting rolled back that were there to protect underserved populations like the LGBTQ plus community, to where discrimination and denial of care could happen at a much higher rate. And those things should not exist in healthcare. Healthcare is supposed to be one of the, the safe spaces within our country um, that anybody could go to, regardless of who you are, or what your health need might be. So it was really for a lot of those reasons, I was thinking, gosh, there's got to be a better way to do this. Health plans, carriers, others within the healthcare community were not doing anything about this. So there's really nowhere for our community to turn. Um, so that's why I set out to reimagine and recreate a better healthcare experience uh, focused on increasing access, reducing those barriers to care, and then, of course, creating better experiences and outcomes for members of the LGBTQ community. So what are the services or what were the services in 2019? Rather than me just coming up with what I thought the community needed, um, I'm very much of a data-driven person uh, and really want to focus that and have that be rooted in patient and, and member data. Um, so rather than really, as I mentioned, sitting in a room, looking at a whiteboard and developing what I think those services are, uh, I set out to conduct our own research study to where we went directly to the source of the community. Um, so we partnered with about 10 Fortune 100 companies to survey their pride or LGBTQ plus ERGs to really understand what are their current experiences with healthcare? What are the barriers and challenges that they face? What are the health disparities that they experience? In an ideal world, how would they like their healthcare to, to work and function for them? We gathered all of that data and research. We got about uh, 1,500 people to participate in that research. We then conducted focus groups. And then from that, we had all of that information. We were able to synthesize and say, all right, here's the root issue. It is members cannot find providers that meet our needs. There are high rates of discrimination. And as a result, many of us are postponing or avoiding care and saying, you know what? I don't know who I can trust in the healthcare system. So healthcare is not for me. Of course, we know that leads to worse health outcomes and then members ending up in the hospital and ER at much greater rates. So through all of that information, we said the best possible way to support the community is to create a tailored navigation and advocacy offering that is a wraparound, really powered by a dedicated care team that is representative of the community that we serve. So we built our care coordination team to be members of the LGBTQ plus community or parents of youth or fierce advocates and allies to really create that safe and welcoming environment. And then the services are really focused in three core areas. They're connecting members to in-network providers who are affirming and clinically competent, creating those safe spaces, understanding our health needs, being able to do benefits routing and navigation. Really what that means is making sense of the healthcare system that is so complex, raising it and making sure members are aware of all of the many great benefits that their employers offer to them and getting them connected to those benefits. And then the third one is advocating for our members. 
We recognize that as a member of the LGBTQ plus community, oftentimes healthcare extends beyond the traditional means of healthcare and the more lifestyle and wellness questions. So particularly since our, our clients are mostly employers, so things like in the workplace issues that arise. So for example, maybe supporting members with coming out in the workplace, being that coach, that mentor, that guide and support for them in those experiences, or supporting an employee who is a parent of an LGBTQ plus youth. I, I think about my own personal lived experience and my mom in this situation, when I came out to her, I really turned her world upside down. And I know she could have benefited from maybe talking to one of our advocates, getting connected to another parent who has recently gone through a similar experience, uh, maybe getting connected to a local PFLAG chapter. Uh, so it really is end-to-end support for the LGBTQ plus community and family members to ensure they get the care, support, and advocacy that they need. I first love that approach to product development, rooting it in not what you think the population wants, but what they say they want and building for that. And then also, um, I hadn't really... Obviously, I knew that your primary purchaser were employers, uh, which many healthcare companies have, have that as their main purchaser. But I hadn't really thought about the the value prop element of not only connect your employees to better healthcare, which has benefits for you in terms of better engagement with health, hopefully reducing total cost of care, all that, but also yeah. that that element of like help them be their truest selves at work by providing additional workplace services. So really interesting. Yep. That's absolutely right. Following up on that em- employer piece, as you shared Early on, very early on, working with your on your survey, employers were your uh, key partner. And my understanding is that included health continues to work closely with employers. But based on your experience, what have you seen change most about working with employers over the last few years? So you're absolutely right. We made the decision from day one to go B2B2C. So work with employers and have employers be our primary customer. I think that's oftentimes a, a question I get. Um, is Colin, why did you choose to go the employer route? Most digital health early stage companies go direct to consumer first because there's this idea that you need to go direct to consumer and build out kind of your your use case there, have that be mm-hmm. kind of your your trial ground. Um, you start within one geography and you really focus there. you get you test product market fit and, and all of those things. I that's true. Uh, you do need to do that, but I think, I spent a lot of time having conversations with employers to really understand how are they thinking about supporting their workforce? Is this something that they would be interested in making available? And I was able to actually skip over that direct-to-consumer route because we were able to conduct a lot of that research and build a lot of the really the business case that an employer would need through that research study. And it was at a time where employers were really looking for a solution or an offering like this. And also at the same time, the LGBTQ plus community was hurting across our entire country. So I did not feel good about just being able to bring an offering to market that was just focused on one city or one geography. I wanted to make this available immediately to all members of the community, regardless of where you live across our 50 states. So I would say that that speaks to the decision why we went the employer market first uh, as far as the conversation that we're having with benefits buyers and how it's transitioned or changed over time, I think looking back over the past couple of years, it's really been a cultural awakening for many. 
whether that was the pandemic and we, we saw an increase in social isolation, saw, of course, raising behavioral health and mental health needs, not engaging with healthcare because not uncertain, is it safe and healthy for us to even go into the doctor's office at the time uh, to the murder of George Floyd and the uh, continued racial bias that we see in the healthcare system and across the country to other factors as well, to where it's really given HR benefits buyers an opportunity to rethink their benefit strategy. And what I mean by that is they're starting to conduct equity benefits audits and assessments, looking at their entire benefits ecosystem to say, hey, can all of my employees access this benefit as we originally intended? It's no longer okay just to offer the benefit but they need to be asking themselves, can all of my employees access the benefit? Do they all have a good experience with it? And are they all getting equal or good quality outcomes that we originally intended them to? And by changing that question away from, do we just offer the benefit to, are people able to access it, have a good experience and get the good quality outcomes? They're starting to find that the answer to those questions is no, no, and no. Uh, and really that recognition is coming to mind where they're saying, gosh, a one-size-fits-all approach to healthcare doesn't work for me. It doesn't work for my entire workforce. So we need to be thoughtful about putting in different vendor solutions and offerings that meet the needs of a different or a differing population. So I would say that's really what's excited us, of course and is the right way to be thinking about healthcare. It's no longer a one-size-fits-all approach. Um, that the, the data is there, the experience is there to, to show that. Yeah, I, I really like that. And to your point, agree that it's how sort of the, the next iteration of how uh, we want employers thinking about how their employees receive and access care. So one final question about this employer market. So you've been focused on commercially insured populations, but as you know, a lot of our most vulnerable people are covered by Medicaid or Medicare. So how is Included Health working with these payers or thinking about doing that in the future? Yeah, it's a great question. So absolutely, this has always been part of kind of my long-term vision is first having to start in the employer market, moving as quickly as we can there to really demonstrate our product market fit, demonstrate our value, and then being able to expand into health plans. Now that we've been on the market for almost three years now, we've we've done all of those things, improving the value, strong product market fit, all of those aspects to where, of course, health plans are thinking about health equity. They're thinking about how do they further support their member populations. I think a lot of whether it's a health plan or an enterprise or employer or buyer didn't have this data and were really unaware of the, the health impacts and health disparities that we're facing underserved populations because the data just doesn't exist. Now that we've able, able to been, uh, establish ourselves as a thought leader, share a lot of this data and open the eyes to the broader market that this is an unmet need and area that, that buyers should be thinking about, we are actively having conversations with health plans as well who are keenly interested in, in creating and, and offering support for their member populations. It's still in the beginning days, but we, we should have some exciting news that we'll be able to share later on this year and early next year that, that demonstrates and shows our value of, of being able to move in the health plan and payer world as well. Awesome. Let's move on to discussing what included health looks like today post 
being acquired by Grand Rounds and Doctrine Demand and this entity being rebranded as Included Health. So I guess my first question here is how did you know that Grand Rounds and Doctor on Demand were good fits for your organization in terms of partnering with them? Yeah, I would say it comes down to a couple things. So one is alignment from values and how do we collectively reimagine healthcare to be delivered in this country and and are the sum of our parts greater together or or separate? And looking at it through those three lenses, uh, I think number one, starting from a, a values construct and overall mission, our three organizations are almost a little bit scary how aligned we were from a, a values and mission perspective that it just made sense. It made things easy. When you looked at our values compared across the three organizations, they were basically synonyms for one another. So I think that speaks volumes that we were very much aligned from an overall um, mission and values perspective. Uh, When we think about our organizations and how we can reimagine healthcare together, when you look at Doctor on Demand, best-in-class virtual care, Grand Rounds from a navigation and expert medical opinion has really the proven leader there for a number of years. And then with our focus on supporting underserved populations, it's just the perfect fit that healthcare needs to where we are able to create a seamless experience, fully integrated offering for members and employer buyers or health plan buyers to better support their population. Really collectively, the three of our organizations, our mission being raising the standard of healthcare for everyone, we can do that together with our our three offerings merged together, which is really exciting and, and something that we're all, of course, very excited to be able to bring to market and do together. And then I would say the the last thing from a naming perspective, really excited that uh, and honored that the organization chose to to pick our name. Of course, that it has much greater meaning and is able to live on longer and have larger impacts than I had originally envisioned. But it does fit in really nicely to our overall mission of raising the standard of healthcare for everyone, where we envision and believe in a world where all healthcare services are included for individuals for all people, regardless of who you are, regardless of where you live, regardless of what your healthcare need is. Um, but really this idea of all included care offered to you through included health. So today you're head of the included health communities division of the larger business. Can you briefly share what this means? And specifically, I want to get into a bit more about how you're serving the LGBTQ plus population today versus 2019. So first, what's included health communities, and then also the spectrum of care and services that you provide to support the LGBTQ plus population today. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so since the the larger organization or the combined organization is using the name included health, that then mean, of course, that we had to rethink and rebrand ourselves and this was always going to, to be needed anyway, since we our focus is, a, is on underserved populations. So our first product is for the LGBTQ plus community. The second product um, that is currently in development and that we will be launching next month uh, is for the Black community. And then, of course, we'll think of other uh, underserved populations, areas of unmet need, uh, developing those tailored navigation advocacy offerings. 
since we take a population-based or a community-focused approach to our offerings, it just made sense to rebrand ourselves as Included Health Communities. So within that, of course, that is our, our kind of umbrella term for our navigation advocacy offerings for underserved populations. So my focus is really thinking through what is the strategy there? How do we go to market? How do we uh, support members? And, and of course, deliver those high-touch experiences, both for our members, for our enterprise clients, employer clients, health plan clients, and things like that as well. Because it is really unique the way that we support members. Not only do we care a lot about members and providing differentiated, better healthcare experiences for members of the community, but we also take a lot of time and spend or invest in in our relationships with our buyers as well, because uh, oftentimes this is new areas for them and and they are looking for support on how do they expand their benefits? How do they think about DEI or inclusive benefits within their overall benefit strategy? So we can it gives us the opportunity from a client success perspective to partner with the benefits team, partner with that internal DEI team, or also those ERG leaders as well to really support them in their overall work and priorities as well. And then your your second question around what are our services today compared to what they were in 2019, um, I would say that the core of the service is the exact same um, because we spent so much time doing that member-driven research focus groups. We were able to develop a product from the very beginning that met and is meeting the needs of the member population. So we didn't have to launch a product, do a lot of testing, do an MVP, learn from that, see what was working, not working. We did all of that upfront through that early data and research to where we knew what we brought to market was going to meet the needs and and deliver uh, a high, high value and high impact to member populations. Things that are different now are that we are, are looking at, of course, continuing to enhance from a technology perspective. So member facing app and experience there and engagement through technological means with our care team. And then of course, now being integrated into grand rounds offering from navigation, expert medical opinion, and then virtual care offerings there within our combined organization just means we get to connect members to those other offerings in a seamless way. Of course, if, if a client or if a member has those services available to them through their employer or through their health plan. Um, So it just enables our team's ability to get members connected to other services and offerings offered through Included Health. But also at the same time, I think it's worth mentioning that we have, from an overall product and packaging across all of Included Health, our services are still modular in a way to where we know benefits leaders and, and health plans have their own benefit strategy. They have a myriad of vendor offerings in place, and they only might want one of our offerings and solutions. So we've created uh, the product packaging technology and experience to where an employer or health plan can just buy one of our offerings, or they can buy all of it together. Um, So we remain flexible in that way to meet the needs of our ultimate buyer. One of the core services that you provide is connecting members to culturally affirming care, specifically for the LGBTQ plus population. How do you identify providers? Yeah, great question. This is a a really important distinction. And I spent a lot of time looking at how does the current, or I guess back in 2019, I was spending a lot of time looking at 
how do members of the community find providers today? What tools or directories or databases exist out there? And how are those built? Why are those working or why are they not working? So did a lot of research and understanding. So what I found was members of the community go to their friends or other members to say, hey, what doctor do you see? We, we trust others like us to get referral information about doctors. Um, so that was the, the major way that members get their information. There were a couple other databases and directories out there. And I found the ways that those were built were going directly to providers and saying, hey, do you want to join our directory? If so, check this box if you're open to treating the LGBTQ plus community or if you yourself consider yourself to be affirming. But what we found through that is those directories and databases are not evergreen, so they're not regularly updated. And also it's based on self-attestation from the doctors Mm -hmm. and nobody is really checking, are they being truthful or do they really understand what it means whenever they're, they're checking that box and saying they are affirming. Of course, there are some really great providers in there, but then there could be some so-so providers and maybe providers that aren't meant or aren't knowledgeable in the health needs of the community. So which could lead to a bad member experience. So taking all of that information, I said, all right, let, let's rethink how, how this should be done. So ultimately what we do is we go more a crowdsource approach. We go to members of the LGBTQ plus community. We understand which providers they have seen, who they have had good experiences with, how they identify from a gender identity and sexual orientation perspective, and why they're recommending that particular provider. So that's one way we get providers in kind of our the top of our funnel to, to be able to then vet them. Additionally, we have our own uh, organic search process that, that we conduct. We have our own algorithm that mines data, looking for indicators who we believe regularly sees members and, and could potentially be a good affirming provider. And then of course, providers can self-refer themselves or others as well. But we don't stop there. That just gets providers into the kind of top of our funnel to then be able to vet them to ensure that they are both affirming and clinically competent. For us, it's incredibly important that we merge those two things together to ensure that the provider is creating safe and welcoming environments for members, but they also understand the health needs and disparities of the community to ensure it's a good quality outcome. So of course, then our provider vetting team is having conversations with the provider, with the office, with the staff to understand, do they meet our criteria for those things? And of course, that's our own proprietary scoring index uh, that we maintain. And then if a provider and, and staff and office pass that, then that is how they make it into our own directory that our care team has access to that then we use, uh, of course, to connect our members to. My next question is more maybe of a philosophical one, but serving underserved communities requires uh, restoring trust with those populations as that trust has presumably been broken at some point in their healthcare experience. So in, in your experience and in your opinion, what do you see as the most critical elements to building trusting relationships in healthcare between patients and individual providers, as well as patients in the larger system? Yeah, this is such an important question. I, I wish more people were asking themselves this question, how do they build elements of trust, credibility, and rapport into their products and into the overall healthcare system? Because you're absolutely right. This is what is diminished for underserved populations. Um, time and time again through our research, whether it was our research that we did for our LGBTQ plus community, found that 40% of members have been discriminated against in the healthcare system. And as a result, 35% are just saying, you know what, healthcare is not for me. 
I'm not going, I give up on healthcare because I don't know who I can trust. Same thing for the Black community that the research that we conducted there heard time and time again. Unfortunately, the race-related discrimination and bias that they have experienced, 50% of members that have experienced a negative interaction are postponing and avoiding care uh, there as well. Once again, saying, I don't know who I can trust. There are not enough Black providers that look like me that uh, I feel comfortable going into. So I think it's incredibly important that all digital health, all healthcare offerings and solutions are asking themselves this question of how do they rebuild trust? Because it's not how do they create trust? We need to rebuild trust for underserved communities to make it a safe and welcoming environment. Um, So the way that we think about this and do this is through all aspects of the member experience that we have representative members from the communities that we serve that have lived a day in the life of, that have experienced many of the same things that our members have experienced, uh, to once again, just lower that overall burden to make sure members feel comfortable first picking up the phone, because that is the first barrier that we have to overcome and prove ourselves to, to these member populations to say, yes, it is safe. It is okay to pick up the phone and call us because you will be welcomed by somebody who is like you, that has lived similar life experiences as you. And then once we've overcome that is providing a really great experience for members, being able to speak the same language, respect their pronouns, uh, understand cultural differences or norms that 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 member might be used to, and then getting them connected to that affirming and clinically competent care. A lot of members, of course, are saying, you know what, I want to see a provider that looks like me or that identifies like me. There's a lot of data and research out there that suggests a member is going to have a better healthcare experience and outcome if they see a provider that is like them and identifies like them, and they're more likely to be adherent to follow-up appointments. Um, So that's a lot of what our team is doing as well, is making sure that members are aware that, yes, we can connect you to a concordant provider that identifies and looks like you, but is also in-network and also has good quality healthcare outcomes to ensure that it is an overall good experience. So I'd say it's important across those elements from a member-facing perspective, getting them connected to those providers that that meet their needs, but also the messaging, the language, the imagery, all of that, um, making it feel personalized and connected in those ways uh, is so incredibly important. It's great to hear that you and your team seem to be thinking about it really throughout the not only entire healthcare journey, but really, uh, as you mentioned, everything you do in a bit of a similar vein, and we've touched on health equity a bit explicitly, but as you shared, it's becoming a much higher priority for many healthcare stakeholders, including employers, as you pointed out, and it's receiving more investment in, in many ways. So what innovations, models, technology, services do you think are having the greatest impact in creating a more equitable healthcare system? It's a good question because it is very encouraging to see the level of investment that's happening in this space and the number of new innovations, technologies, and startups focused in these areas. It's it's just warms my heart to to see all of this coming to market, which uh, is giving me hope that we are going to solve this problem um, together. I think as I look at the challenges just being within the, the system for the last couple of years here, is I think the innovations and technologies that are going to make impactful change are focused in three core areas. 
say it's around data. So being able to collect and report on health equity data, real SOGI data, because this has been a blind spot for so many within healthcare. I'm sure there are some that have access to the data, but are choosing not to report on it yet. But it's really going to take all of us forcing big healthcare to really move in this direction. Because of course, us as smaller startups and innovative companies can really influence the direction and speed at which we move. Um, But we need everybody in the ecosystem to participate and join in. So I'd say those that are collecting and reporting health equity data, being able to merge that with member-centric experiences that are differentiated for each population, those that are not taking a one-size-fits-all approach. And then three is weaving in virtual care offerings to this because we know that virtual care is a huge ability to improve an impact on health equity because there are desert lands around our, our country from a provider perspective where there are just providers not available um, or there might not be concordant providers in particular zip codes and geographies for members. So being able to weave in and offer a virtual care offering to members that way, regardless of where they live, who they are, maybe they feel more comfortable taking that appointment from the safety and comfort of their own home versus going into a doctor's office, but at least they will have access to a affirming and clinically competent provider, regardless of where they are. So I'd say innovations that are really combining and focusing across those three elements are the ones that are going to have an impactful difference from a health equity perspective. Well, Colin, it's been really a pleasure speaking with you. I'm first really happy we got to have this conversation during Pride Month about really important issues in healthcare. And it was awesome to learn more about what you and your team is up to at Included Health and how you see restoring trust and improving equity in healthcare looking in the future.